Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. So glad to have you along for another edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, and I'm so happy to be a part of the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. We report it all from the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. What's going to happen when it comes to access to groundwater is always a major issue in the Texas High Plains, but I have what I believe is some good news for farmers and other groundwater users in the area. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. This is Jim Hearn in the Rio Grande Valley. Extreme South Texas starts the onion harvest. Watermelons for Memorial Day may be scarce. Those stories and more in today's report. A variety of trees enhance the value and beauty of rural property. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag today. We'll have those stories, plus news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. The controversial Obama-era Waters of the U.S. rule may be gone for good. Jessica Domel explains. The Environmental Protection Agency will not return to the controversial Waters of the U.S. rule. EPA Administrator Michael Reagan told a House Appropriations Subcommittee the courts have weighed in on both the WOTUS rule and the subsequent Navigable Waters Protection Rule. He pledged to begin a stakeholder engagement process involving agriculture and the environmental community to look at the lessons learned and craft a new definition of waterways that fall under federal jurisdiction. I'm interested in moving forward not in a ping pong way, but a way that we can provide some certainty to the ag industry. That was EPA Administrator Michael Reagan. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. We have the first look at wheat crop conditions here in Texas following last week's freezing temperatures. And the condition ratings did take a drop in this week's crop progress and condition report. Last week, 8% of the crop was rated excellent. This week, that dropped down to only 3%. In the good category, last week 20% of the crop was rated good, this week 15%. The fair and poor to very poor ratings, however, increased. We went from 36% rated fair last week to 39% this week, and from 36% poor to very poor last week to 38% in the poor to very poor categories. The report also shows planting progress with 85% of the Texas rice crop planted, 66% of the corn is in the ground, 65% of the sorghum crop is planted, and 17% of the Texas cotton crop now in the ground. The future of groundwater supplies on the Texas High Plains is a top concern for most any farmer there, but there could be some good news on the horizon. James Hunt explains from Amarillo. Every five years, groundwater authorities across the state of Texas are required to update what are known as desired future conditions. More commonly referred to as DFCs, these are essentially a set of objectives for preserving groundwater, with aquifer levels monitored on a routine basis. 
Jason Coleman, general manager of the High Plains Underground Water Conservation District, says the latest analysis indicates that the water levels within the High Plains Water District are meeting the goals established by the DFCs. The modeling information that accompanies our proposed DFC and the current adopted DFC from 2016 suggests that the change in water levels we're observing over the area is uh, commensurate with the anticipated trend line, generally speaking, that has been modeled through these numerical methods. And Coleman says as the High Plains District collaborates with officials from other conservation districts within groundwater management areas 1 and 2 on updating the desired future conditions, more restrictive pumping limits for users are not anticipated. As we have met and contemplated this latest round of information, there has been no additional mention in that uh, effort based on those results to change the allowable production amongst the High Plains Water District or other colleagues in order to meet the condition that is being proposed. The High Plains Water District has scheduled two public hearings about the proposed new DFCs. One hearing is June 8th in Lubbock. The other is July 13th in Kenyon. If you would like more information about the DFC process and upcoming hearings, contact the High Plains Water District or your local groundwater conservation district office. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Onion harvest is getting underway in extreme South Texas. Jim Hearn reports from the Rio Grande Valley. The valley has seen temperatures from near triple digits to the low 50s since our last report. We've also have stayed very dry and much of South Texas has fallen back into the exceptional drought category. Lake levels have been dropping some but are going to really take a serious turn downward as this hot weather becomes normal. The spring sweet onion harvest is now underway. Most fields escaped the serious damage from the cold weather because we're not seeing many cedar stems that uh, makes onions uh, used for processing only and not the fresh market. For now, onion producers hope that the weather stays hot and dry. With the freeze, all watermelons had to be replanted, and although there will be some for Memorial Day, it will not be the amounts that we've seen in recent years. Mexican melons are still crossing, but so the impact of the short supply hopefully will be minimal. The grain sorghum, corn, are making good progress, although they're in all stages of growth. Cotton planting is still going on. Even at this late date, it'll be, well, a very late cotton crop. So far, about 175,000 acres of cotton have been planted. Range fires are becoming more of a problem. Several fires in the eastern end of the valley have consumed several hundred acres. This is Jim Hearn reporting from the Rio Grande Valley for Texas Ag Today. The diversity of trees on rural Texas property enhances both the value and the beauty of that property. Tom Nicoletti has more. Continuing my conversation today with Tyler Jacobs of Hall & Hall LLP about planting and taking care of trees on rural land. When you prune that, that young native tree and help it along, in five years or ten years, it's going to look so much better. It's going to be so much more mature and full and, you know, you've removed the competition and, and all those things that help those young trees. Again, you're, you're providing the replacement for the natural life cycles where, you know, you may be losing some old trees, but you've done a good job of cultivating the young trees and they end up being just as special 
down the road is even the the grand old tree that may have caught your eye when you first bought the property. And Tyler, uh, regardless of size or location of the new property, your advice uh, for everyone is that uh, they need to plant trees. Absolutely. You know, the the diversity of trees on a property always returns an investment. It enhances the beauty. If you've got all pine trees or, or softwood and you go in and you start planting hardwoods or vice versa, or you're planting cypresses by your water features, or you're planting live oaks by your your improvements, or whatever it is, time flies, and planting those trees and cultivating those trees is going to pay a huge dividend down the road as far as enjoyment and appreciation of the property. The most common mistake I see is people tend to plant new trees either too close to each other or too close to improvements. And that's one of those things that, unfortunately, you see the effect of that mistake 20 years later. And so be sure you're studying, you know, how you plant those trees and where you plant those trees, but certainly want to encourage you to plant a diversity and and, and always have it on your mind as to what you can do in your tree planting to help your property appreciate and be enjoyed. Certainly. And uh, bottom line, uh, when it comes to trees on uh, rural property, and for that matter, uh, even in suburban and urban areas, uh, they can uh, certainly bring aesthetic beauty and uh, they can also uh, serve as windbreaks. But in either case, a lot of maintenance goes along with that. Absolutely. And if you think about all the special property you've been on your life, I can assure you that the trees have generally been part of that equation. Those comments again from Tyler Jacobs. He is partner broker with Hall & Hall out of College Station. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The American Farm Bureau Federation is promoting ways to support and develop rural broadband. Michael Clements has the story from Washington. Getting broadband developed throughout rural America is a priority for the American Farm Bureau Federation. AFBF Congressional Relations Director Emily Buckman says rural residents, along with farmers and ranchers, need access to broadband connections. We've heard the phrase multiple times, broadband is no longer a luxury, it's a necessity. And the pandemic made that even more evident as we had to shift to working remotely, children having to do homework from home, and then even having our doctor's appointment done via telehealth. Rural broadband is essential for modern agriculture, farmers and ranchers to grow our food and to the quality of life of rural Americans. The American Connection Project, which includes Farm Bureau and is led by Lando Lakes, just launched the American Connection Corps. This is a new pilot program which will connect young leaders to their hometown and empower them to become a new class of community leaders focused on connectivity. For a period of two years, the American Connection Corps fellows will work to increase digital access in their communities by coordinating local partners to access federal and state resources for broadband access, as well as delivering digital literacy to those members of the community that may not even know how to utilize broadband. Rural community members can also help by using the FCC Speed Test app. The network and coverage informative information gathered from the speed test data collected through this app will help to inform the FCC's effort to collect more accurate and granular broadband deployment data. It's been a major effort to have FCC update their coverage map to ensure that federal dollars spent on broadband deployment is accurately targeted to those communities most in need. From Washington, I'm Michael Clements for Texas Ag Today. Texas landowners could eventually have another way to combat wild pigs. I'm Jessica Dolmel and I have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. 
And this year's first case of rabbit hemorrhagic fever has been reported in Tom Green County. So what exactly is it? Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd explains coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Parenting is full of surprises. You never know what to expect. So after our son was born, I called my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent to set up a life insurance policy in case something happened to me. Sawyer is now two. And we'll soon have a sister. There's no one else I would trust with protecting my family. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com for an agent you can trust with life's most important decisions. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. We've seen the first reported case this year of rabbit hemorrhagic fever, and that's been reported in Tom Green County. But what exactly is that disease? Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd explains. Rabbit hemorrhagic disease is a fatal viral disease that affects both domestic and wild rabbits, including hares, jackrabbits, and cottontails. Fortunately, it does not affect humans or other animal species. The rabbits were tested after a sudden death loss was observed, and the disease was diagnosed at the Texas A&M Veterinary Medical Diagnostic Lab and confirmed at the National Vet Lab at Plum Island. The virus is Rabbit Hemorrhagic Disease Virus Serotype 2, or RHDV2, and there is a vaccine to prevent the disease, so contact your local veterinarian for methods in getting this vaccine for your rabbits. Dr. Andy Schwartz with the Texas Animal Health Commission indicates that rabbit breeders should practice good biosecurity practices on their farms and in their homes. This disease was first discovered in far west Texas and the Panhandle counties in April of 2020, and it is a foreign animal disease that can persist in the environment for a very long time in rabbit carcasses. It also persists in their meat, fur, contaminated water, and feed. This makes the disease very difficult to control once it is in the wild rabbit populations. Rabbit owners who observed high fever, poor appetite, depression, inactivity, bloody discharges, or sudden death in multiple rabbits should contact their regular veterinarian immediately. Biosecurity involves keeping all rabbits indoors if possible and remove grass and weeds around outside rabbit pens to reduce the number of rodents that could serve as mechanical vectors. Also, do not introduce any new rabbits and make sure your rabbits cannot be exposed to wild rabbits. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Texas landowners could eventually have another way to combat wild hogs. Jessica Domel has the details in today's wildlife report. A pair of amendments under consideration in the Texas legislature would give landowners another tool to control the ever-growing population of wild pigs. Currently, riders in the budgets of Texas A&M AgriLife Extension and the Texas Department of Agriculture prevent kaputs, which is a warfarin-based toxicant, from being studied or used in Texas. Harold Stone, Associate Legislative Director for Texas Farm Bureau, says the new amendments that are under consideration could change that. The Senate has, in their version of the appropriation bill, left the riders as they were. So the prohibition on the warfarin-based feral hog toxicant implementation is still there. The House has adopted through the House floor amendment process, they have allowed an amendment to be added to the appropriation bill to include additional riders 
to allow A&M AgriLife and the Department of Ag to work together to evaluate the efficacy of a warfarin-based feral hog toxin as a control method for the feral hogs. So where we go from there is the conference committee on the budget is put together and the House and Senate will work together to address whether or not the Department of Agriculture and AgriLife are able to conduct the research on the warfarin-based toxin, and ultimately if the product will become available for use by the landowners. The conference committee includes the following lawmakers, Senators Nelson, Huffman, Colkhorst, Nichols, and Taylor, and Representatives Bonin, Capriglione, Mary Gonzalez, Wally, and Wilson. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. We finally saw a pullback in the cotton and grain markets on Wednesday. Livestock markets finished mostly lower as well. We'll take a closer look at all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Cattle, cotton, and grains all saw a pullback on Wednesday. We ended up closing mostly lower on live cattle, lower on feeder cattle. April live cattle, the only contract that actually moved higher. It was up 57 cents, 118.95, but that's a lightly traded contract. The most heavily traded is the June. It was down 40 cents, 115.45. August live cattle down 82 at 116.47. Feeder cattle lower. April feeders down 32, 133.87. May feeder cattle down 90 cents, 134.97. The August down $1.17 at 148.90. Cash fed cattle trade saw some fairly light trade on a Wednesday. We did have the online fed cattle exchange. They sold some Texas cattle at 119. That's a buck lower than we saw last week. Following that, we saw some sales out in the country. Reports are that those cattle sold at 118 to 119, one to two dollars lower compared to a week ago. Boxed beef prices just continue to climb. Same story. Choice up another dollar forty, two ninety two thirty nine. Select up a dollar four at two eighty fifty seven. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. When you hear the cattle go to Bellerin, it's time to talk to Ken Jordan, Jordan Cattle Auction Mason in San Saba, about his San Saba sale he had on Thursday. Ken, what do you say? You bet, Larry. We had right at 915 head today. I thought overall the buyer activity was very good. Overall, I thought the market was a little lower this week. Most of the grass cattle orders and everything, they pretty well ended last week. Most of those cattle are being shipped now up to uh, Kansas, Colorado, South Dakota, and all that. So, therefore, now most of the cattle are going to uh, either grow yards or are going to feed yards or whatever. As most people know, this corn price has increased quite a bit, so therefore the cost of gains have increased. Overall, I thought we saw the cattle as a whole after last week's really, really strong market. I thought the stock steers today were right at maybe $10 lower. I thought the feeder heifers and steers, they were probably 5 to $10 lower. 
forth. We had some steers today on the feeder side that uh, weighed uh, right at, I think it's a group of seven of them, weighed six sixty-eight, $1.45, $968 and change. Had another group of uh, 13 steers, weighed seven eighty-seven, dollars $1.28, a little over $1,007.36. I thought the fleshy, really new crop calves, we're starting to see some of those come to town just because of drier conditions. I thought they were probably 10 to $15 lower compared to last week. Any cattle with condition day, if they had a lot of kind of dried out look, they were very attractive. Some of the real fleshy calves were not as attractive today. Packer cows and bulls, I thought overall so steady. Pears and bread cows so steady too, maybe $100 higher on a very good demand and a very active trade, Larry. Well, tell everybody how to get a hold of you, Ken Jordan. You bet, Larry. Give us a call, Larry. Go 325-372-5159. Love to hear from anybody that wants to give us a call. Neighbor, that's all the time they're going to give us here on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network for Walking the Pins. I'm your host, Larry Marble. Texas Farming and Ranching Neighbors, good day to you. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now where lean hogs continue to climb higher. May hogs up $1.47, 111.27. June hogs up $2.45 at 109.12. Class 3 milk was mixed. April milk unchanged, 1764 100 weight. May milk down 3 at 1917 100. The cotton market gave back just about all of Tuesday's gains. July contract dropping at 190 points, 89.52. The October down 137, 87.84. The December contract down 113, 86.07. The wheat market saw a pullback also, both hard and soft wheat. Ending lower, July Kansas City wheat down 14 and three quarters, 6.96 and a half. July Chicago wheat down 10 cents, 7.22 and three quarters. And the same story in corn, a pullback in both old and new crop corn. May corn down nine and a quarter, closing at six eighty-six and a quarter. September corn down fourteen and a half, five seventy-one and a half. December corn down fifteen and three quarters, five forty-six and a half. In the energy markets, June natural gas was up a penny, two ninety-five. June crude oil up eighty-three cents, sixty-three seventy-seven a barrel. The financial markets mostly lower. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 164 points, 33,820. The Nasdaq down 39 at 14,051. The S&P 500 down 3, 4,183. Well, that wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up another edition of Texas Ag Today. Thanks so much for joining us, and don't forget, we'll be right back here next time to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Thank you.